We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain alienable rights. We have a power. And we've raised a spoiled brat representative government that needs to be taken to the woodshed. Are you satisfied with the government that owns you? There are churches who refuse to allow us to use their facilities to teach. Unspoken or even sometimes spoken rule that religion and politics don't mix. You wouldn't dare speak out against the government or somehow resist. Christians have to be involved in politics. God commands it. Every turn of event through history hinged. One person will stand up upon a single person. And then everybody else will stand. A gym member, surrounded by a crowd of supporters, was placed in handcuffs. A Tampa Bay pastor has been arrested, sentenced to a week in she jail. She also and tore up a cease and desist letter. We have a posterity waiting for us to say, we will not comply so you will be free. We have a chance to fight without bloodshed. But every time we comply, we establish a future where our children will not have that option. Why do we sit down when all should be standing? And why do we back down? At the Rise and shine. Liberty-loving patriots, welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. It is Women's History Month, so welcome, Sunny, as my guest host today. Thank you. I love that. That's so awesome. You know, you could get one of these, though. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Those that's are, not how they feel. <laughs> Those are our two sound prompts that we have queued up. So I'm going to be working on some more of those uh, here shortly because mm -hmm. they're just too much fun. So Women's History Month means that we get to recognize one of our amazing women in history. Today is my favorite mostest, mostest favorite, Mercy Otis Warren. I, I think that if God shares spirit templates when he makes people, you know what I mean? Because you meet people, they like, they, they absolutely click right away yeah. and they have these people are, are same and similar. You're like, you guys are like cutouts, you uh, a sister from a different mother kind of thing, right? <laughs> I think we must have had similar patterns uh, in in heaven's workshop when we were fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I'm just kidding. But nonetheless, I do feel a very strong attachment to Mercy because she and I have a passion for America, have a passion for liberty, and a, a very um, obstinate way of delivering it. <laughs> But Mercy Otis Warren, first American woman playwright, 
first American woman historian, first American woman political advisor, and she was a brave and virtuous defender of liberty. Mercy Otis Warren is the one that I quote who said, we will stand against tyranny today or our children will bow tomorrow. And that's why we do what we do. By the way, if you love the uh, graphics that you see on Instagram and on uh, Facebook now, you can thank Sunny for that. Sunny <laughs> has taken on the illustrious job of being <laughs> the, um, oh, that's not what I was looking for. That being me. the graphic <laughs> designer. Oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Graphic design. <laughs> But you do, you have like a little gift for it. It's really amazing. I mean, look at this one. Isn't this, isn't this beautiful right here? Look at that. Oh, wow. I mean, the colors <laughs> and the, the pictures and everything. Really good. Really, really good. Thank you. So tonight, tonight, JC and I will be teaching in West Palm Beach at River Church, West Palm Beach, Beach starting at 7 p.m. So that probably gives you a clue that we are not live right now nope. because we are going to be in West Palm Beach mm -hmm. tonight at 6 p.m. Yep. And so uh, if you're watching this right now and you're, you're a stone's throw from the River Church in West Palm Beach, you can probably make it in yeah, time. Well, you better hurry up yeah. if you're watching this live. Yeah. So you have an hour to get there. We will start at 7 p.m. sharp. And this is an amazing lesson tonight. Tonight, it's like a bonus doubleheader. JC and I will both be teaching tonight. I will be talking about religious liberty. And JC is the um, cleanup hitter, going to knock a home run and bring us both home with uh, righteous resistance to civil authority. The, the biblical command of God to, to resist tyrannical government. Have you seen that class, Sonny? Um, I want to say, yeah. I can't imagine that I haven't. You know what? I'm pretty sure that he had, he taught it when you were still a student. Yeah. I, I think I've seen it, but not maybe not together. Yeah. The two yeah. of them together. Mm -hmm. Oh no, no, no. That's something yes. that we do very rarely, but it mm -hmm. is a very, very powerful a uh, very powerful uh, combination. I actually prefer doing them together mm -hmm. because especially when we're in the church, right? Yeah. So in the church, you're teaching um, not only religious liberty, but the obligation of the church to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And so we are having at our church this week, we are having a uh, church conference Where on, uh, I think I, I thought I had a thing up here. I think it must be in my story, but we have, we're having a, what we call a covenant women uh, program at our church this week. And let's see, is there, I'm looking, oh, here we go. This will work. That one will work. So we're having a covenant women's conference at church this week. And so it's, it's really, really great. If you're anywhere near Tampa, Florida, you can go online at, uh, revival.com. Thank you at revival.com and still register for the conference. Yes. It's free. It's free. The yesterday was the first night 
This morning was the first morning and it was amazing. Powerful. Very, very powerful. And because of the testimony of one of our pastors, Pastor uh, Jessica Howard Brown, I have been um, in motivated, encouraged to give a testimony to you today to help encourage you. There were there have been people over time that have asked me to do this testimonial. I've had people ask actually ask me to write it down and write put, put it together in writing. Maybe one day I'll do that in my spare time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sonny will tell you, does, Fingers does, crossed does Kristen have spare, spare time? time? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Kristen doesn't even have time to sweep her own floor. That's why we have the robot. Oh, shh, don't tell people that. I mean, just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to get all kinds I of I was joking. Text messages. We don't now. have a vacuum robot. We don't we, have a vacuum don't. robot. I was kidding. No. <laughs> but I wanted to tell you how... I, and I don't know if Sonny's actually heard this whole testimony either, so this might be a little bit new to you, about how the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal got started, how our ministry to teach the Constitution and travel all over the United States got started. And so, um, well, let me just start with this video, which this video will give you a little bit of the background, and then we'll jump off from there. All right, without further ado. Chris Ann Hall received her bachelor's degree in biochemistry from Blackburn College. and her Juris Doctor from the University of Florida. She served in the U.S. Army as a military intelligence cryptologic linguist. She was a prosecutor for the state of Florida for nearly a decade. Chris Ann also worked with a prominent national First Amendment law firm where she traveled the country defending Americans whose rights were violated by unlawful arrests and prosecutions. She has written six books on American history and the U.S. Constitution. Chris Ann is a regular consultant on numerous radio, podcasts, and television programs. Without further ado, Chris Ann Hall! So while I was practicing law as a prosecutor in the state of Florida, I'd been doing that for about like seven years or something like that. We had, we received a miraculous opportunity to adopt Colton. Now I am nearly 37 years old at this time. And I did not want I mean, praying for a child for a very long time. I didn't want to be away from him for the first two years of his life. So I really prayed for an opportunity to do something where I could work at home. 
And God provided that opportunity to work for the nonprofit law firm that you heard about in the video. So I worked with them for um, three years, for, three, for two and a half years. And then when that when that opportunity was done, I came back to the state attorney's office to be a prosecutor in those two and a half years. The man that had originally hired me, the state attorney named Jerry Blair, had retired. And one of my co-workers had been elected to be the state attorney. So I went to him and I said, look, I want to come back to the office. You know that. Uh, I've never really wanted to do anything but be a prosecutor because that's the truth. When I was in law school, Sonny, um, the last year of law school, law students spend a significant amount of time uh, applying for and doing job interviews. I never did a job interview. Never. Wow. As a matter of fact, I was working in my desired job with the state attorney's office before I ever even graduated from law wow. school. So I, my, the Jerry Blair, the guy I told you about that first hired me, I was living in a very small rural community, which qualified for small county status, you know, statewide and national wide. And so they always get these extra little perks and stuff. And so uh, Mr. Blair wrote to the dean of the law school and asked for special permission to me for me to be entered into the certified legal intern program before the rest of my classmates because of the need of the county. Mm -hmm. So I became a uh, an employee of the of the state attorney's office for free. Oh, wow. Right. It was an internship program. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what I did then was um, I worked with them from the end of my first year all the way through graduation. So two years. I actually had completed 10 jury trials before I even took the bar exam. Wow. Because of this status that I had. By the time I had my bar number and was, and, and I just triggered a bunch of people. So uh, don't, I, look, time out, disclaimer. Don't send me your emails about bar numbers. Don't send me your information about how the bar makes me an employee of the queen and how I'm getting emoluments and titles from the queen. Don't send me that. I've never received a dime from the queen. She has never even contacted me, nor do I have any titles or emoluments from the crown. So don't send me your emails. I know all about that. 99.9% uh, <laughs> .9 of your attorneys have never received anything from the crown. The bar is something that we have to do in order to practice law. And if you want to condemn attorneys for having bar numbers, then what you're actually saying is you want people who are looking for emoluments from the queen to be the only people who practice law in America. So I personally am not going to bash people for having bar numbers when they're actually constitutionally rooted and sound and working in a system to undo all the garbage that's being done by the globalists and the 
unconstitutionalists and the living, breathing document people and the federal supremacists and the judicial supremacists. So that's my little disclaimer. You don't need to educate me on the bar. I know all about it and I need to do what I do in the realm that which I do it. And there are certain sacrifices that I make to do that. So let me be clear to you, never received any rewards from the queen, never received any titles from the queen, never received yeah. a dime from the queen. We've never even heard from her. No, I, has she ever left me a message? No, or me. And I'm actually related distantly to the queen. Oh no, now we got a whole conspiracy I really am. going. It's not a they planted you in here because I have a bar number. Oh no, we'll have to cut this part out of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I am my great-great-grandmother's cousin was in the direct bloodline of Mary, Queen of Scotland, who was first cousins with Queen Elizabeth I. What? Mm -hmm. People, so. we are in the midst of royal... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Just a few people kick the bucket, and I'm taking the throne. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. True story. So it's just, see, that whole bar number thing really kind of irritates me because it's the same argument about Christians who are like, Christians don't need to be involved in government. Oh, okay, great. So that means you just want heathens to run the world. Yep. How is that for society? How's that going to work out for us? I mean, that's how is it, it working out doesn't. for us? <laughs> so look, I, I understand that. Don't fill up my chat room with all that stuff. And by the way, if knowing that I have a bar number makes you hate me, then, you know, I can't really help you with that. There's probably a different place for you to be, and you don't want to be on this show. So yeah, you could just log off. Yeah, just, just log off. Just, just, just saying. Just we're saying. just saying. Just, just saying. Okay. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, by the way, I also am not happy about the fact that a non-governmental organization claiming to be nonprofit is the deciding factor on whether I get to practice law or not. So... I understand that. But until we get people like me into the system, the system is never going to change ever. So I tell you what, I want somebody like me defending me if something happens. I don't want somebody who's a federal supremacist, constitutional ignoramus. Right. So there you have that. So anyway, 10 jury trials before I ever had my bar number. And so when I came back to the state attorney's office after my term with the nonprofit law firm, the new boss was there and I said to him, look, I'm, I want to come back. And he's like, oh, that'd be fantastic, Chrisanne. You're, you know, we work together. We worked together for seven years. So he's like, I, I know you're a great attorney. I'll bring you right in. And, uh, and, and, and there you have it. So when I got in, the small rural town that we lived in, uh, the word got around. Do you know how that works? Anybody here live in a small oh, town? I'm from a small town, yeah, so, so I know. That stuff is like, whoosh. Yeah. They're calling you. You, you get hired. You're back. And, and before you hang up the phone, people are already calling you. Hey, I heard whatever, right? Yeah, so that's seriously. Small town. Small town. More, small town has nothing. Uh, Twitter has nothing on small town. Oh, yeah. You can't no. even sneeze no. without the town finding out. Yeah. So, uh they knew that I had stepped away to practice constitutional law. And so people in the town started inviting me 
to come and speak. This is 2009, 2010, when the, the first relative awakening of government and constitution, the, the sort of beginning trickles of what we called the Tea Party movement mm -hmm. at that time, right? And so people were calling me and saying, Chrisanne, will you come teach about the constitution? I joined a program with the Florida Supreme Court, a Supreme Court justice by the name of Fred Lewis had a program called uh, Justice Teaching, where lawyers and judges volunteered to go into the public schools, the elementary schools and, and, and high schools and teach about the First Amendment. So I was doing that. I was going into the middle school, teaching about the First Amendment. I was talking to uh, REC groups. I was talking to Tea Party groups, the school board. The county school board asked me to come to one of their meetings and give a presentation on how to have an invocation before the school board meetings without having the ACLU jump down their throat. And so I instructed them on that. Now, I happened to be also invited to the local radio talk show, uh, small town, small talk show radio kind of thing. And they wanted me to tell them about the unconstitutionality of the Affordable Care Act, National oh, Health Care. Okay. So it kind of gives you an idea how far back we're talking, right? Yeah. So this is when Obamacare was first coming through. Mm -hmm. So I'm on the radio program and I'm teaching much like I'm teaching now about how the affordable health care is unconstitutional because we never delegated any authority to the federal government to take care of our health or our uh, medical needs. That's something as a power would be reserved to the states. Well, I got out of the studio and I get a text message, text message. No, we didn't. An email from my <laughs> boss who immediately informs me in the email that I had to stop teaching the constitution on my own time, the way I was teaching it and who I was teaching it to. He said I had to cease and desist all my association with right wing fringe groups, you know, those middle schoolers in the school board, right? Yeah, right wing fringe groups. And that because I was teaching that the Constitution demanded limited government, that I was committing an ethics violation Wow! because it's an ethical conflict of interest to work for the government and demand a limited government. Mm. I mean, this guy was all kinds of not there, right? Wow. And he's a lawyer, right? So I, I responded, explained to him, I said, look, you know, I'd be happy to give a disclaimer before I teach to say, I am here to speak to you as Chris Ann Hall, the attorney, not as Chris Ann Hall, the assistant state attorney. This has nothing to do with my job or my boss. This is me on my private time. And I explained to him, I said, look, I don't talk about my caseload. I don't talk about you. I don't talk about my job. I simply talk about what the constitution says, and mm -hmm. I teach, you know, you guys, many of you have been to my classes, so you know how it works. And he said, he didn't care. He said, that being said, you can quit teaching and work for me, or you need to quit your job. Now, let me explain wow. to you, this was uh, not an easy decision for me.
I think it was probably easier for JC than it was for me. But there's something about women that we are kind of hardwired with a, a need for security. That is very true. And financial security. That's very true. Yeah. So it's Women's History Month. Let's just be honest. Women. Now, JC and I had just planted a church. And uh, JC was receiving no income from the church. My income was the only income in the house. So the decision that was being placed before us was to stand up for what we believe and walk away literally overnight from the only income in the house. Wow. Can I tell you, can I tell you that it was not an easy decision for me? Can I tell you that I prayed and I cried and I had fear? I bet. But let me explain to you how this worked. Before this happened, Sonny, I had started a Bible study on Esther before all of this happened. So yeah. Convenient. Yes. Conveniently. So conveniently. Convenient before Bible all of this went happened, I had had started a Bible study on Esther. Wow. And I'm, as I'm praying, I, Sonny, can I tell you, um, you've not seen our house up north. No, I have not. We have a, we had a living room with carpet. I laid on the floor on my face, sobbing over making this decision. Right. And so, uh, the Lord told me, reminded me of a passage in Esther where Mordecai comes to Esther and says, God has given you a choice. He has given you a choice to be a part of his plan. Make no mistake. You can walk away because that's the kind of God we have. He's not going to strike you dead mm -mm. the moment you don't do what he wants you to do. No. He's a gentleman and he gives you a choice. And Mordecai said, make no mistake, God's giving you a choice. You can be a part of this plan. But if you choose not to be, then rest assured God's plan will come to fruition without you. And then there was this warning. And your family may not be saved. Wow. Right? And so then I'm like, Oh my gosh, there are future ramifications for the decision that I am making greater than whether I have a paycheck next week or not. Yeah. You know, how many times are we told in the Bible that the decisions we make today impact the future? The sins of the father carry on for seven generations until wow. the saving of Christ comes and wipes it clean, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But that really hit me. And at that moment when I was like, I don't know, have you ever had that when the Lord just sort of hit you with a revelation and you're sort of in spiritual shock? Yeah, you look you're like, like big shook. eyeballs and you're like, you're shook. You're oh like, goodness, dropped in my mind the parable of the talents. Oh, yeah. I've at that <laughs> moment, boom, download the parable of the talents. Now, those of you who don't know the parable of the talents, it's simply a story about a, a master, a, a, a man who makes money in the money market, mm -hmm. right? 
And so he has to go out of town. So he entrusts uh, three of his workers with money to invest for him, mm -hmm. right? So one guy he gives five, the other guy he gives two, and the other guy he gives one. And the master goes away. And the one that gives that he gave five to gets right to work and doubles the money for the master. Mm -hmm. The one that has two also doubles. But the one that was given one buries the talent in the sand because, as we find out as the story progresses, he tells the master, here's the one that you gave me. I knew that you were a powerful man, but... I feared what would happen, so I buried the talent. So fear is what made that servant disobedient. And so after the, after the master comes back and the one who had five gives him ten, the master says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, now enter into the glory of, of your Lord, right? I will give you... Uh, you have been faithful over few. Oh, I'll give you duty over many. Mm -hmm. Same with the person that was two that now hands over four. By the way, it's interesting because the master didn't actually slap the guy who had two for not making 10. No. He no. said the same thing to the guy because they were all given based on the knowledge and the of the ability the, that the master had on their ability. Yeah. Right? Cause, yeah. Because the Lord will meet you where you're at. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So. He says to the one that's two, well, that, that turns over four, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, when it comes to the one that was given one who did not prosper in any way, but operated through fear, right? He says to that, the master says to that servant, wicked, slothful servant. He didn't say, oh, I feel so bad. I understand the no. fear that you had. You're surrounded by scary people. And, and these are very scary circumstances. So, you know, no. I'm, I feel your heart. And, I'm, you know, I don't want you to feel bad and your feelings to be hurt. And you're a good guy, too. No, that's not what he said. He said, you knew what I expected of you. You knew that I expected you to prosper what I had given you, but you failed because of your fear. Do you know what that fear is really a picture of? A lack of faith. You see those first two that, that went head had the same circumstances surrounding them. Mm -hmm. They would have had to deal with the same opposition and the same fear, but you know what the first two did? They knew that they had faith in their master to protect him, them even when he wasn't present. Mm -hmm. So his absence didn't increase their fear. Their, his absence increased their faith. Mm -hmm. And so you have the example of two, two employees acting out of obedience and faith in the power and provision of their master and one operating out of fear and no faith. And it just occurred to me, what is my motivator here? Why am I so stressed out? Why am I laying on the floor sobbing over magic paper? And it was because my fear 
had interrupted my faith. Wow. And so I said, okay, Lord, you are bigger than my fear. You are bigger than my opposition. And we're going to step out by faith. JC had already told me this, right? He'd already said, you know, it'd be really hypocritical for us to have a church, to be teaching people that God is the God of the universe, that he controls everything, that he's, he will never leave you nor forsake you, nor also is he the God of provision and protection. And then to say, uh, okay, we mean that for you and not for us. He said, so we have to live by our words and we have to show this to the people around us. We really, God is giving a choice, he said, but we really don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> so dealing with what my husband's telling me in this fear is where God met me with these words. And after that, there was no turning back. I told my boss, I'm not going to stop teaching. He said, well, then you have to quit. I said, I'm not quitting. And he said, then you're fired. We went from making a, a nice, nice, modest salary in a very small rural community to nothing overnight. Nothing. Wow. And what's amazing, Sonny, is this. And I think this is really why I want to tell this story. Because I don't want you to think that I'm some kind of spiritual giant and all of this is the amazing testimony of Chris Ann Hall. This is not the amazing testimony of Chris Ann Hall. This is the amazing testimony of my God, right? Because when we made that decision, we saw the glory of God like we'd never imagined before. You see, when I was fired, it, small town, everybody knew. And there were people who were very upset. So they were protesting outside my boss's office for wow. three days with signs and, and stuff. And it kind of, it hit the news. Wow. So the Jacksonville Fox station picked it up. Uh, I think Jacksonville ABC or CBS picked it up. I don't remember. Wow. They came out and did a little story on us. They interviewed my former boss. Who, who was complaining that he couldn't get any work done because the, you know, because the people protesting his office and they asked my boss about my, about, well, Chris Ann, you know, I mean, didn't you, I think that now that I know the media, I think they were looking for him to say about how I was a bad employee and mm -hmm. all this, but he didn't. He said, no, Chris Ann is one of my best attorneys. He said, she is a top notch attorney. I just can't have Sarah Palin working in my office. So it was all political. It was all political discrimination. And so when this hit the news, wow. I actually was on Neil Cavuto on National Fox for like 15 seconds. You know, it was just crazy. We started getting letters from people all over the country uh, who were wanted to encourage and support us. Sometimes they sent us money, like five bucks here, 20 bucks there, that sort of thing. You know, we want to sew into what you're doing. Thank you for taking a stand. One day we got a letter from, from a family. The mother was writing the letter. And she explained that the whole family watched us on the news. 
And she was thanking us. The whole family was thanking us for being an example of faith and strength uh, for the family, standing up for what you believe in. Mm -hmm. And she said, we were so impressed that we wanted to send you something to encourage you. She said, our kids emptied out their piggy banks. Wow. She said, we went around the house and collected all the change out of the couch cushions and, and out of the car. And, and, and here's a check for everything that we collected. And it was like some really strange number, like $143.37. Wow. Now, we were so, I was touched. We were so impressed. But we sort of kind of chuckled, right? Who writes a check for $147.37? right? Round it up, round it down. We'll never know the yeah. difference, right? Mm -hmm. And we had no idea why they would be led to write a check for $146.37 until the next week we got the electric bill for the exact amount of the check. Wow. To the penny. Wow. To the penny. Do you know what that means? That means that those people watched our news story wrote us a check before the electric company even knew what the bill was for the exact penny of the bill. Wow, that's powerful. And that has happened over and over and over again for 11 years now. God sometimes gives us the penny, but most of the time he's over and abundant right? He's, he's doing that. I sometimes think that he goes back to the penny just to remind us where our provision comes from mm -hmm. and to remind us that he has not left us nor forsaken us. And I want you to know this is my God, but this is also Sonny's God. And he loves me the same way he loves Sonny, the same way he loves you. God is waiting for people to give him space to show his glory. It just takes faith and obedience to step out in risky, scary places yeah. where you can't stand on your own feet, where he can show himself like you've never, ever seen before. And that's why for 11 years, we have always done what we've done with God first in mind, understanding that our mission comes from a higher power and that we don't work under the approval of any man. And I just, I hope that encourages you today. I, I, I don't know if that will encourage anybody. I mean, we're not live right now, so I can't see the chat room, but God really put this on my heart and said, tell this today, tell this today. And so I hope, because I know hard times are coming for us, those of us who, who believe in a constitutional America, those of us who believe in our, our rights as God-given and not as government privileges, those of us who know that the stand is is here. It was almost said it's, it's coming. The stand <laughs> is here right now. We are going to have to make the choices, the scary choices 
the inconvenient choices, mm -hmm. the sacrificial choices. And if you do it for the kingdom of God's sake, you will not, you will not be forsaken. You will not be left alone. So if you don't know my God, can I please ask you to? Because I know when I cried out to him in 2001, he came in a flash. And I know he'll do that for you too. You can find this peace that we have. You can have access to the provision that we have. Oh, amen. You can have the security of the protection that we have. And it all comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's the testimony. Had you heard that before? I had heard that testimony before. It's a good I testimony. I know. I mean, I just, it, and it's not mine. So I, you know, I'm just like, this is what God did for me. Mm -hmm. And this is what God wants to do for you. Yeah. Right. That's just amazing. So Women's History Month, the strength that God has created us with, he will exponentially increase when you're working in the kingdom of God. Yay! <laughs> so um, on now to the rest of the news for today. Oh yeah. <laughs> Where do you go from there, right? So um, here we have a U.S.-Mexico border crisis. Um, here we have, oh wait, that's the wrong story. Here we go. Ron Johnson. Sorry, sharing the screen here for you. Ron Johnson says that the Biden administration seems deaf, dumb, and blind to the border crisis and dangers to migrants. Uh, Republicans are concerned about growing numbers of migrants flooding the border. Well, hello, people. This is a problem. Now, I have, I have been teaching on this show about the solution. And the solution is not sitting around whining and complaining and waiting for the federal government to do its job. Okay? That's not the solution. The right now emergency solution is that the states who are on the borders must secure their borders and the states, the rest of them in these United States have to come together and help out because this, this leaking of our borders is absolutely a weakening of American security our prosperity, everything about mm -hmm. who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so I do have some really good news today. Uh, this is now happening. We have 300 National Guardsmen from South Carolina are remaining at the uh, Mexico border. South Carolina people has, has, has picked up the gauntlet and said, send me 
we'll go wow. secure the border. Good for them. We need every other state in the union. There is absolutely no excuse for the red states to not be sending help to the border. Yeah. Absolutely no excuse. What we have, Sonny, is a problem with the federal government. Now, we have absolutely hired, created the federal government in our constitutional republic to secure our borders and to enforce federal laws. Mm -hmm. One of those federal, or, or series of those federal laws are the rules of uniform naturalization, meaning you don't allow aliens to obtain the benefits of citizenship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it. You have to become a citizen. It's It doesn't mean anything to be a citizen if some alien comes over the border and doesn't have to submit to the laws of the land, participate voluntarily into our society, involuntary submission mm -hmm. to our laws. It means nothing to be a citizen if any alien can just simply deny our laws, deny who we are, deny our principles, and just come in here and suck up our resources. And not only that, Sonny, we are paying the federal government to secure our borders and to enforce these laws. Yeah, it's like the one thing we actually want you to do. Yes. Could you please do it? Rather than all these things we don't want you to do. We They are failing to not only do what we created them to do, they are failing to do what we paid them to do. Meanwhile, they're spending all their resources having hearings about how they're going to strip me and you from our right to own, to keep and bear arms. Oh. Right? So check this out, Sonny. Federal law, right? So even if some of these people qualify to be refugees and to have amnesty in America, federal law for refugee and amnesty status. Now, if you guys have been long-term listeners with Chris Ann Hall's show, you know that there's no constitutional authority for the federal government to establish refugee status. If there's going to be refugee status, it has to be done at the state level because refugee status is not a pathway to citizenship. And the only what thing we delegated to the federal government was the authority to create the uniform rule of naturalization, the pathway to citizenship. So the federal government cannot mandate states take refugees, not constitutionally speaking anyway. They can, but it's not constitutional. And that's why we need constitutionally educated governors and sheriffs who say, no way, we're not doing this, right? And so we need that for a fact, okay? But here's the thing, even following federal law, if they qualify for refugee and asylum status, before they do that, they have to have a background check because you do not qualify, no person qualifies for refugee status, if they have a prior charge, it doesn't even have to be a conviction, a prior charge of what we call crimes of moral turpitude, which are a whole list of things. So catch this. Our federal government, before granting refugee status, apparently is not doing background checks on these people. What? Otherwise, we wouldn't be having all of these criminals. Mm -hmm coming across the border. Repeat criminals. There are, don't tell me I'm lying. 
They are out there. We have repeat criminals coming across our board. We, they're criminals. We send them back. They come back and commit more crimes. Oh, my. I'm a former prosecutor. I've seen it in my own office. In Florida, by the way, leaking over here. Yet they will not do background checks. There's not this whole big stink in Washington, D.C. about nationalizing background checks for these people coming across our border but they're wasting our tax dollars doing nothing at all. And in the meantime, having hearings about how they have to do stricter background checks on us so that we can't exercise our natural right to keep and bear arms. That's crazy. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, you have the federal government negligent in a created job, a job created for them, a job they were created to do, negligent while still taking our money to do it, weakening our country in security, in resources, in finances. And yet all they can do is attack us law-abiding citizens, people who have voluntarily submitted to a continued citizenship, to be subject to the laws made in pursuance to the Constitution. And there you go. The federal government is literally burdening and straining state and local resources while still demanding money from us and sucking our resources for their own oppressive, unconstitutional activities. So the states have the authority to say no, and they have the duty and obligation to say so. So when you have states like South Carolina that get it, Right. You can't look at me. I don't sometimes we get people on in the feed, Sonny, that that don't actually understand the Constitution. Some of them just come in to mm -hmm. be trolls and and to, you know. Throw darts at uh -huh. us. Right. You can't call me crazy. South Carolina is actually doing it. Mm -hmm. You can't call me crazy. It's not unconstitutional. It's not radical. It's actually the proper procedure. So step one is in when you're triaging right so before i became a lawyer the whole reason i went into the to the military was to be a doctor so uh i was trained as an emt and you know i i, I know triage right in a triage situation what you do is you assess the greatest threat to life the bleeding mm -hmm. you've got to stop the bleeding you've got to keep the breathing mm -hmm. right so in the triage of the border, step number one, we need states to send help to the border to patrol and to stop the bleeding. Have to do it. Have to do it. Our triage. Stop the bleeding states. You can do it. It's being done. You can do it. Step number two, organize with each other. In a, in a state compact, 
The Constitution allows states to contract with each other for services without Congress when there is an emergency. This is an emergency. An actual emergency? This is an actual emergency, right? Number one, it's a continuing emergency because the federal government is failing to do what the states and the people are paying them to do, what the Constitution demands them do. And it's going to keep going until we do something about it. So create a compact. Uh, contact me. I've written the compact. Senator Bob Hall from Texas. Contact me. Let's get this rolling again. Okay? Let's get this rolling again. If you are in Texas, contact Senator Bob Hall. Say, get with Chris Ann Hall. Get this compact rolling again. If it was good enough for under the Obama administration, it's even better under the Biden administration. We need to get this rolling. And then step number three, this is where it's going to be really radical. Are you, are you ready? All right, I'm holding on. You're holding on. Our states must come together and defend the people to, to stop paying the federal government to do jobs they're not doing. Wow. Novel idea. Crazy. Only it's not mine. It's actually how it's supposed to work. It's how our constitutional republic was created so that the states held the purse strings. The states held the power of the purse. So when the federal government, one, was doing jobs it wasn't supposed to do, the states would say, no, we're going to pay you for that. We never delegated you that authority and we're not going to pay for it. We're defunding you in that activity. And then if the federal, if the states have delegated something to the federal government and they're not doing it, and the states have to pick up the slack? Well, there's another way to tighten up those purse strings and tell the federal government, do your job, or we're going to withhold that money too. That's the check, one of the most powerful checks and balances that was placed into the hands of our states at the formation of our constitutional republic. So I've given you the solutions to the border crisis. None of them require armed revolution. None of them require anyone to violate someone else's rights or violate the Constitution. As a matter of fact, all three subsequent solutions require enforcing the Constitution and the state's duty to do that. Our sheriffs need to do it. Our legislators need to do it. Our counties need to do it. Our governors need to do it. And of all the things that come in and out of the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis needs to do it. We need to pitch in and help out, right? We need to secure our borders here in Florida on the Southern coast. Yeah. And then we need to make sure that we're securing the borders. I don't think people understand. Let me, let me, let me just pull this up here. Um, I, I think that I can do this fairly quickly. Right. So let me do it this way. Let's see. Tampa, Florida. We'll push this in there. We'll do this really quick. And then we're going to ask for directions to El Paso, Texas. There we go. Directions to El Paso, Texas. Now let's look at this really right. quick, Floridians. I want you to see something. This is practically a straight shot 
Pretty much. One road. Okay? One road. I-10. There you go. I-10 all the way over to I-75 and straight south. By the way, there's our state capital, Tallahassee, Ron DeSantis. They don't even have to change. They don't even have to take an exit. No. Change highways before they get to Tallahassee. Just drive right through. Just drive right through. Don't tell me we don't have a vested interest in securing this border. Mm -hmm. We absolutely do here in Florida. So it's about time that we start contributing because the federal government is failing. So there you have it. I have answered your border questions with a constant with three constitutional solutions. Now it's up to you to educate and organize your community and activate to get your people in government to do their job. You know, I think what's even worse now that I think about it, the federal government is failing to do what the states and the people are paying it to do. But wouldn't you also have to say that our states are also failing to do what the people have created the states and paying the states to do? Yeah, because they don't, they don't stand up to the federal government. Right. They don't put their foot down. And they're not protecting our borders. No. I mean, the borders are the state borders, people. They're state borders first. They're union borders second. The states were existing before the union, at least 13 of them. Mm -hmm. Right? We had states for 13 years before we had a federal government that we have today. They were states for 13 years before Washington, D.C. So they need to start as John Roberts, Supreme Court Chief Justice said, states are independent sovereigns and they need to act like it. So there's your solutions, guys. It's up to you to make them happen. So Sunny is representing Florida today with her or Hawaii or Hawaii or Hawaii with her Floridian <laughs> tourist shirt. <laughs> yep. Thank you so much. Sunny, did you have fun, fun today? Oh, so much fun. Did you learn anything? Yes. Awesome. You know, you had to say yes. Cause here we are. <laughs> She's like, yes. <laughs> yes. I learned something today. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me in women's history month. We are going to be covering tomorrow gun control. We are going to be talking about some things that are happening uh, in the Supreme Court. Well, not actually happening in the Supreme Court. Some things that the Biden administration are demanding of the Supreme Court that have to do with our, our Fourth Amendment and our Second Amendment. And so I hope that you will tune in to us tomorrow. And if you are able to join us tonight. I'll just put that information back up there for you again. In uh, West Palm, Florida, remember, uh, if you haven't probably left for the West Palm by now, you're gonna be late, yeah. but come late anyway. Seriously, come late. It'll be great, don't miss it, right? So there's the information for those of you who are on the way or want to be on the way and want to hurry up and get over there. Uh, thank you so much 
for joining Sunny and me today. And we will, you want to say goodbye? Goodbye. We will see you tomorrow.